One of the central purposes of our radio ministry is to stir up in our listeners a robust confidence in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ for everything they need. As God's people satisfy themselves in the fullness of Jesus, He will become attractive to those around them. Welcome to the Bread of Life. As we listen today, let us pray that this desire will be met in our lives. Now here is our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. David's vision of God transformed his vision of everything else. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, the weak armies of Israel are cowering before the threats of Goliath. But David believed that God was the God of covenant promise, and the God of Israel in particular. And believing this, David saw that that weak army quaking before Goliath were the armies of the living God. And if you will see the God of all creation as a God of covenant relationship with yourself, you'll begin to have a transforming view of all that is before you as well. This is where he says it. This is the key phrase. Verse 45, he speaks to Goliath and says, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Not just the armies of the living God. You've defied the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Because David believed in God and was aware of God's covenant promises to God's people, and because David is conscious of God's presence, the quaking army of Israel is redefined in his mind as the armies of the living God. And the living God is present among them. And the slights and insults and challenges that the enemy is hurling against them in order that he might engage them, David realizes is more severe than anyone might think. He's not just insulting those men, those servants of Saul. He's insulting the army of God and the people of God, and as such, he is insulting God himself. He's coming against God's people. He's coming against God himself. Changes the way you see things, doesn't it? It should change the way, by the way, we view the encounters that we have in our own life, the struggles we have in our own life, the gossip that may swirl around against another brother or sister in Christ, the accusations that form and shape. By the way, if someone comes to you and tells you they don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites, right? Well, we could take notes. We could just study our own life and take notes and give them a definition of what hypocrisy is at different times. But don't engage in them. Don't agree with them too strongly. They're hurling insults at the armies of the living God, the people of God. Be careful and be sensitive. This God consciousness, this awareness of the faithful promising God, this awareness of God's presence transformed David's outlook on all the circumstances around him. And it filled him with a right conviction about things, that God was present and that God was at work in all these things. In fact, I would say that this consciousness of God's presence shaped three prominent attributes in the life of David, and they would be this, and this is what we'll look at just for the rest of our time. They shaped in his life a deep conviction. They shaped in his life a sure confidence. And they also shaped in his life a profound contrition. Let's look at this first one. We've kind of been looking at it already. These attributes spring out of a heart that's after God. They spring out of his conscious awareness that God was there, that God was with him, that God was present. 
The first one is a deep conviction. God's promises and God's presence transforms the scene for David. As we've said again, he sees these armies of the living God. When we look at them and all we might see are a bunch of men shaking in their sandals. He looks out and he hears the oath that are pronounced by this Philistine and he hears these oaths as coming against God himself. He knew who the people of God were even when the people of God had forgotten themselves. He knew even when his brothers and his kings and the giant could not see, he even knew who he was in Christ. He knew it. His brother thought that he was just coming to stir up trouble. The king thought that he was just a ruddy young man who was too young and no experience. Uh, Goliath saw him as just a, a boy coming out with him sticks and stones, not even honoring how great a warrior he was. David knew who he was. David knew who that shaking army was. David knew who he was because he knew who God was and he knew that God was present among them. And so he was bold. Think about that. In your own life, as you come before the challenges in your life and the things that God has called you to do and you draw back, you don't feel capable of doing it. You feel like you're being swallowed up by the crowd or by the other influences and you find yourself for a moment being fearful, being fearful of all those people around you that you want to influence for Jesus' sake and for God's sake, but at the same time you don't want to lose their favor or you don't want to fall on your face and make a fool of yourself and be thought worse of or whatever it is, think about it. Remember who you are. Remember who God is. Remember that He is among you. Remember that you are a member of the armies of the living God. David knew it. David saw it. A conviction was wrought deep within him because he knew God was present and God was near. He knew that he was one of the anointed ones of God that God had put His Spirit upon for God's service. How important it is for us to hold the same conviction of who we are before the world, who we are before the prince of this world. We are the children of the Heavenly Father. We are joint heirs with Christ. We are heirs of all the promises of God. We have been panoplied with the armor of God. We have been given the sword of the Spirit. We are the children of God. Remember it. Even when you quake and even when you shake and even when you stumbled and even when you faltered and even when the enemy has battered you around for 40 days or more. Remember it. Oh, that we would see the thing that David saw in his enemy. When Satan comes to tempt us or taunt us and causes us to fear, when he seems to overtake us with worries, when he seeks to lead us into our desert experiences where we're tried and we're tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, at those times we need to remember that God is present and that God's word and God's promises are paramount. And before these things we need to learn how to answer to his testing. You might remember that the Lord Jesus went to the wilderness and was tested for 40 days and 40 nights. And during that time of testing, the Lord Jesus answered from God's word. He said things like, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is spoken from the mouth of God. And he said things like, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Another word, like he said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And he answered the assault of the enemy with the sure footing of God's word, knowing that God was present. When we come against the difficulties in our lives, we need to learn to do the same thing. When we face its challenges and its accusations and even its moments of failure, we need to learn to claim God's presence in the same way. Saying things like, if God can be for us, who can be against us? Saying things like, I know that he that dwells in within me is greater than he that dwells in the world. Saying things like, how much more will the Heavenly Father give His Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Claiming those things and holding on to those things and 
Saying things like, I know he who has begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ. Saying things even against our own weakness, let God be true and every man a liar. We should have this conviction in our lives. A life that claims God for every moment of every day. Decides that at every point of life we have a choice to be made. And it's either that God will be glorified and God will be honored. Or that God will be dishonored and fail to receive glory. The glory that he seeks from our lives. Understand that God has made us as children. God has anointed with his spirit. That God lives in us for those moments in order that he might draw from us honor and glory. Not that we would please men and fear them, but that we would please God and fear him. That takes conviction. The knowledge that God is present. That's what was produced in David's life. And although he struggles and stumbles at times, you'll see if you read the narrative of David's life, there is this steady progressive expression of ongoing, consistent conviction that God is to be honored and God is to be glorified because God is there. The next thing you see is this confidence that wells up in David as well. It's seen in our story. Here, Saul tries to question whether David really is capable of this feat that is lying before him. And David seems to be perplexed that Saul would be questioning these things. David explains to him how that he killed a lion and how he killed a bear trying to protect his flock. In fact, David says, I did it. In verse 35, he says, I went out after it and I struck it and delivered it a lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. And he explains further, listen, if I can dispatch a lion and I can dispatch a bear, then I can dispatch a giant. If I can dispatch these things that threaten my flock, I can dispatch a giant who threatens the flock of God. That's his reasoning. That's his rationale. Now, that's confidence. It's the kind of confidence that draws from past experiences of victory that God had brought in his life. It's a good thing, by the way. It's the kind of confidence that's born out of a good memory. He's remembered what God has done in the past. He's remembered how God has worked through him in the past, and he's confident. It's also the confidence of a person who hasn't lived very long, so he doesn't have a lot to remember but victories. <laughs> There's an element of self-confidence here. But it's a self-confidence that is completely wrapped up in the consciousness that God was at work through his life and that everything that David did, he did through God's power and that David could not have done anything without him. And so he says again in verse 37, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Ah, there's some self-confidence there, you see but completely and utterly enveloped in all that God had done for him and all that God was, it was ultimately above everything else a confidence in God himself and his presence, being conscious of God's presence, being conscious that God is near, fills you with a firm conviction that you ought to live for his glory and gives you confidence that you can, that he can empower you and enable you in that way. God calls us to his service. We are to be his witnesses. We are to live for His glory and His honor. And we are to be ones who proclaim His Savior to people who need Him. And the Bible says that we are sent out like lambs among wolves. We just sang the song, we are sent in the midst of a world that is with devils filled that threaten to undo us. We are to carry out this work even though we are beset by imperfections, that we are beset by personal limitations, that we are beset by our own personal weaknesses. 
Paul himself said he knew the weakness that came upon him when he came before people, when he came before him to preach the gospel, when he surveyed his own power, his own strength, he said he came before them in fear and trembling. He came before them in a weakness, evaluating his own strength. But it was this ability to see his weakness that enabled him to see the strength of the presence of God in, among him, that God would work through him and God would be great in him. Paul saw that the sufficiency that he had and the duty that laid before him was not found in himself, but it was found in two things. One was the sufficiency of the duty itself. He saw that the calling that God had given him was so glorious and so wonderful that God would have to work to complete it in him, that God would pour out his glory upon him for the task. David sees the same thing. He sees this as such a great moment, as such a great task that David cannot think any other thought than that God will give him the ability to prevail. The task is too wonderful, it's too glorious. Christian brother and sister, we have a more glorious task than David as he stood before Goliath. We come before a world under the domain of God's enemy, but a world in which God longs to see his saving power and grace expressed. And our task is to live out that grace and to sound forth with our words that power to save to all who will hear us. Our task is to gather in as many as possible to worship at the feet of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. It is such a glorious task that God will not let us fail if we will but believe in Him. Thanks for listening in today to The Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism. Our work has taken us over the last 30 years to over 90 different countries, and we're growing in our reach more and more. But we need your help. If you wish to know how you can be a part of this strategic evangelism and discipleship ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until our next time together, may God bless you.